Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, December the 6th, 2021. And we're continuing our study on the book of Romans, and today we'll be specifically looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and looking at what it means to be a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 marks a new section of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 1 through 11 included the certainty of the gospel and what God had and has done for the believer in Christ. And now Paul shifts in Romans chapter 12 through 15 to the imperatives where believers are commanded to live in a certain way. As we will see the certainty and action of the gospel on us, empower us to carry out these commands. In other words, carrying out the commands would be impossible without the power and effectiveness of the gospel to change us, to change our desires, and to change our wills. The gospel creates in us this response that makes these commands joyful and not burdensome. So as we saw the glorious gospel and what we have received and what the gospel has done for us in Romans chapter 1 through 11, we now see the gospel-driven response, the gospel-driven response to imperatives where the Holy Spirit enables us to live for Christ. And so with that, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, Brothers, Now, look at that word, therefore, which is telling us that, therefore, everything that I have said before, I'm appealing to you, Paul says, by the mercies of God. And so he's appealing to them by God's mercy and by God's grace. These imperatives we will see are because of what God has done by God's mercy and by God's grace. So to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given me to say, to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Therefore, this very first word is signaling the shift from the promises and certainty of the gospel to the imperatives of the gospel. Paul is saying in light of God's mercy, this is spirit-driven response. We see these two power-packed verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, which offer a call to offer ourselves in total surrender and dedication to God. For us as believers, all of life is to be lived out as an act of worship to God. We see here that our issues with sin create displaced worship. 
Sin distorts us to worship ourselves and creation rather than the creator and author of life. Remember in Romans chapter 1, the trigger verse of Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And what? And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. And then we see all these vile practices in Romans chapter 1 verse 26 and on of all the vile things that come when our worship is displaced. We see the prophet Zephaniah say in Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. You see, Sin has so distorted our lives that we no longer worship the Lord, but corruption and decay. And here Zephaniah the prophet shows us that when we lose sight of correct worship of God, all vile breaks forth, first individually. But then this always spills out to what we see as the community being corrupted as well. Follow what happens in Zephaniah chapter 3. You know, first, right, she, the city, the people in that city, will listen to no one and accept no correction, do not trust in the Lord, and do not draw near to the Lord. This is personal failure. This is personal sin. This is us worshiping ourselves and the creation over the creator. But then the trickle down starts in verse three, when it says that the officials, the officials, the leaders, and the kings, right? The society is basically led astray, right? They are roaring lions. Instead of leading the people with dignity and honor and strength and helping them, no, they are looking to devour them. The society is led completely astray, but then we see that the judges are evening wolves. Wolves come out in the evening to get their prey. Instead of looking for justice, the judges are actually attacking. They're on the attack. They're looking for prey. They're looking to to cause harm. Justice is completely perverted. And then in verse 4, it says the prophets are fickle. They cannot even make up their mind. They're treacherous men. The prophets who are supposed to be the voice of God are actually confusing and skewing the word of God, making it for the people. The voice of God is confusing and undetermined. And then it says even the priests are profaning what is holy and they do violence to the law. So the priests who were supposed to be leading the people to God and sacrificing before the Lord are distorting their service. They're not leading people to God. They're leading people to themselves. Brothers and sisters, sin brings decay and ruin, but the gospel brings life and order. And now Paul is calling us to be new and new and living sacrifice, giving ourselves completely to the Lord, bringing our worship back in order to the Lord. And we see four charges from this passage about what it means to be a living sacrifice. The first is we give our body to the Lord. And in verse 1, it says that, that, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We are reminded of, of Romans chapter 6 and verse, verses 13 and 19, where it says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 
Verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Paul is saying, therefore, that we are to give all of ourselves to God. And this is a serious charge. He says, I appeal to you. This is an authoritative and urgent call to give ourselves completely to the Lord. And remember the why behind this. Why? Because of the mercies of God. We have been made alive in Christ, and so now we are living sacrifice back to Him. We are God's temple. We are His tent. We are the dwelling place of the Lord. Our bodies are the dwelling place of the Lord. And so while we have breath and life on this earth, we use it to glorify God and to spread the gospel as our spiritual act of worship. Paul tells the Corinthians in his second letter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-9, through 9, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit, what? As a guarantee. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and home of the Lord. But verse 9, so rather we are at home or away, what? We make it our aim to please the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our lives are a fragrant offering to the Lord. We were bought with a price. And so we glorify the one who has redeemed us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The most sensible response to the rich and lavish mercies of God is to offer ourselves completely to the service of the Lord as our spiritual act of worship. We have one life to live. And we want it to be one that brings glory to God and works for the spread of his gospel. So we give our body to the Lord. But the second charge we see in this passage about what it means to be a living sacrifice, we give our minds to God. Right? Paul is not trying to say that the body and mind are divisible. There is an inexplicably connected our, our minds and our body. Right? And this is there is a true relationship between what we think and what we do. I love what A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts about God. You see, we offer our mind to God so that ultimately we can offer ourselves to God. And there are two commands embedded in verse 10 that help us fully renew our mind and give our mind to the Lord. The first that we see is it says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, Paul is instructing us not to allow the world to mold and shape us. We are not to think the same as the world. Our hope is found in a different place. Our lives are set apart and our wills are not our own. We have a different worldview than those in our culture and world, so we must not let the world's customs and messages shape the way we think. We must shape the world because our Lord is the author and the creator and the sustainer of this world. He made it, 
and he knows the way that it should work. So we're not conformed by the matters of this world. But then the second command is not only do not be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our minds are to be renewed by the Spirit. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. We become what we ruminate on, what we focus on. Therefore, we must meditate on the glory of Christ by filling our minds with the truth of God's word. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We must guard our mind and what we watch, what we look at, and what we listen to. A polluted mind will lead to a polluted life. However, a mind filled with gospel truth will lead to a life dedicated to Christ in worship. And the purpose of this transformed mind is so that we may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We want to be able to recognize and appreciate the things that honor the Lord and give our lives to those things. So many people say they want to know the will of the Lord for their lives. And Paul tells us the equation here in verse 2. If you meditate on gospel truth, if you seek the Lord in prayer, and if you test and see that the Lord, he is good, then you will be able to discern the will of God. This here, beloved, is command of God with a promise. Too many times we try to twist God's word to our liking, or we try to add worldly thinking to our own interpretation of God's word. We try to see the word of God through the lens of culture, but instead we must look at the world through the lens of God's word. Too many times when we're studying the word, even small groups or even in gospel-believing biblical churches will say, well, what does this passage mean to you? Beloved, we do not need to look and say, what does this passage mean to us? But we need to look at the passage and say, what is God saying to us? What is he convicting us about? We cannot allow our culture, our ideas, or our worldly thoughts to influence the word of God, but we must allow the word of God to influence our lives, that we see everything through the lens of God's word. This also shows us that obedience is not burdensome, but exhilaratingly free. 1 John chapter 5, verses 3-5, through For this is the love of God, that we keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We give our body to the Lord. We give our mind to God. And the third charge we see in this passage about what it means to be a living sacrifice is that we see a correct view of ourselves. Paul tells the church not to think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. This doesn't mean that we degrade ourselves or begin to think poorly of ourselves. No, we must always remember that we are created in the image of God. The term Paul uses here is to think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, we are to rationally think about ourselves, realizing that everything that we have comes from the Lord. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 18. As for the rich in this present age, and this is not just the physically wealthy, but this is also those who have been gifted much. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Everything that we have, even our lives, come from the Lord. And so we trust Him and we see ourselves through a biblical lens. Ultimately, the gospel unifies the church because we see that we serve a Savior who emptied Himself and whom we are to emulate. Oh, the beautiful words of Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Every believer has been gifted by God, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We are called to be humble and faithful stewards of these gifts. In 1 Corinthians, Paul discusses spiritual gifts in chapter 12. He reminds the church at Corinth of the way we view these gifts. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22 through 23. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, we are treated with greater modesty. The gifting and strengths the Lord has given us should not cause arrogance because God has sovereignly provided them. They're not earned nor received because of our good works or superior value. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When we realize that the gifts from the Lord we have are to serve and bless others, oh, that brings great grace. Our gifts are not a means of building our name or reputation. They, they are to guard us actually from self-promotion and self-exaltation. And beloved, they are for our brothers and sisters. And so we see that we give our body to the Lord. We give our minds to God. We see a correct view of ourselves in the fourth charge we see in this passage about what it means to be a living sacrifice is that we use our spiritual gifts for the building of the Lord's church. The gospel is building a community, not of individuals, but a community of faith. Our faith is personable, but meant to be shared in the community of brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been called to love one another and to use our gifts for the building of the church. 
In Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 5, Paul emphasizes this. He says, we are individually members one of another. We have different gifts because we are a diverse people. But this diversity brings perfect unity before Christ because each member is unique and vital to the body. We are one in the body of Christ. Paul uses the imagery of a physical body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, ultimately to show that each part is distinctively different. When looked at individually, we are different and unique. But corporately, when we come together, we are completely unified, working in harmony. And so Paul shows us here in Romans chapter 12, a brief summary of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he encourages us to use these gifts with excellence and passion. Verse 6 of of Romans chapter 12, he tells us, he says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. These gifts are separated in this list into verbal or speaking gifts and then deed or service gifts, which are both used ultimately to build up the body of Christ and bring glory to God. The verbal or speaking gifts include prophecy, giving practical guidance in particular circumstances. Prophecy is to be used in proportion to our faith. This did not mean the level of our faith, but the object of our faith. Prophecy was not to be charismatic, but was to help others understand and see the Lord. It was not to confuse or add a new revelation but to give discernment to believers about the signs of the times, to give discernment of the believers as to the voice of God, to give discernment to believers as to God's word. But then we see also teaching as one of these verbal or speaking gifts, instructing in both formal or informal settings in a much more personal style for the building up of individual believers in their faith, to teach them the word of God, to teach them to understand the ways of the Lord. But then we see exhortation, pleading with, encouraging, and comforting the church with the word of God, helping the church understand the word of God as applied to their lives. We exhort the scripture. We we expositorily teach the scripture. We, We illuminate the scripture and help people apply it to their lives. And then leading the last of the verbal or speaking gifts. And it says to lead with zeal. This is not a passive gift or one in which you can be lazy but a gifting of oversight that is actively looking to help and direct others. And then we see three deed or service gifts, which include service, which is practical help for those in need, hospitality, helping others. We see Jesus emulate this when he washes the feet of his disciples before the last supper, the last meal. Oh, practical help for those in need. But then we see giving. We see to give generously. We give the kind of generosity that reflects God's generosity. We give in such a way that we emulate the Lord. And then last, but certainly not least, is mercy. And we see here that that Paul says to do so cheerfully or with cheerfulness. We have ministry on behalf of the poor and the weak and the hurting, and we do so cheerfully, not begrudgingly. And ultimately, as we see from this brief list, God cares about our hearts and our motives, not just our external actions. And so through this, we see that we are exhorted to use our gifts and to use them for the building up of the church. These gifts are given to us for the good of our brothers and our sisters. And so, beloved, let me encourage us to live as living sacrifices. Let our worship to God 
be the way we use our giftings and coordination, that the gospel and glory of God is preached and shown to orphans, shown to vulnerable children and vulnerable women, that the gospel goes forth to vulnerable families, and ultimately the gospel and the glory of God is made known to all nations, all tongues, all tribes, all people. And brothers and sisters, this, this is our spiritual act of worship. Thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for our churches here in the United States and around the world, and specifically for Lifeline's church partners, and that we will continue to encourage and equip them to take the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray specifically for the church partners that Lifeline has. I pray that you would bring new church partnerships and that you would grow deeper the existing church partnerships that we have. I pray that you would bring churches that have a greater ethnic and racial diversity and that we would be able to work with these churches that that are reaching uh, varied races and, and varied ethnicities and varied cultures. I pray that we will be able to better connect with local churches of our alumni and our engaged families and our donors, and and that we truly would grow our reach even with those that we've already reached. I pray that churches will see that being pro-life is so holistic, and they will recognize the value of life both inside and outside of the womb. I pray that churches will be able to show love and compassion to women in unexpected pregnancies, and that they will continue this love and compassion for women that choose life or even for those that unfortunately choose abortion. I pray that pastors and church leaders will clearly see the biblical call to care for orphaned and vulnerable children and their families, and that their understanding of this call will permeate their preaching, their teaching, and their leadership. Oh, Father, we pray that the church would recognize the urgency of sharing the gospel with vulnerable children and families, and that they would understand that the 153 million orphans around the world are an unreached people group that desperately need the hope of the gospel. I pray that our churches will create a culture where adoption and foster care is encouraged and supported, and where families are challenged to step into broken and hard places, and where those families and their children receive the ongoing care, love, and support that they need. I pray that more churches will utilize our various initiative resources to raise awareness and to call their church families to action. I pray for churches who have recognized Orphan Sunday and Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, that this recognition will turn to action and that, Lord, you will give wisdom to them to know their next steps. I pray for churches that will use Mission Kid to help understand the needs of orphan and vulnerable children around the world and will also see the opportunities that they have to meet those needs. I pray that more churches will host Families Count and take advantage of opportunities to share the gospel with and minister to broken families. And I pray for our church-based programs team as they continue to develop harbor families and heritage builders and that these programs will grow through churches engaging in these vital ministry opportunities. I pray for our team as we follow up with churches who have utilized our initiatives and that this follow-up will lead to greater partnership opportunities. I pray that churches will welcome our team for opportunities to preach and share the ministry of Lifeline. And I pray that more churches will include us in their regular missional giving. And Lord, would you give wisdom to our team and help us better recognize the needs of the church and to create resources that are innovative and helpful and that ultimately propel your gospel to the nations. Oh Lord, help us as we equip the church, the body of Christ, to manifest your beautiful gospel to orphans and vulnerable children 
here in the United States and around the world. And we ask this in your great, awesome, and holy name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.